on behalf of NYU's Maison Française, the French Cultural Center of the University, and the 3,400 writers, translators, and editors of PEN, it is our great pleasure to welcome you to the fifth annual PEN World Voices Festival of International Literature. To further PEN's mission to advance literature, defend free expression, and foster international literary fellowship, the festival brings together writers from across the world for a truly international literary and cultural exchange. New York University and La Maison Francaise are delighted to collaborate again for the fifth year with Penn for the annual festival. We'd like to express our thanks as well to the cultural services of the French Embassy, which has helped to make tonight's event possible and has brought Muriel Barberi here tonight. Before introducing our guests, I must ask you to please turn off all things in your possession, which beep, ring, buzz, play, musical tunes, or any sound whatsoever. And please look again, because yesterday, everyone swore they had done so, and we had five interruptions. So, well, we are very delighted to welcome French author Muriel Barberi, who comes to us not from France directly, but from Japan, where she's been living recently, whose second novel, L'Elegance d'Hérissons, The Elegance of the Hedgehog, published in 2006, was an unexpected success in France and became an international bestseller. She will be fully introduced in a few moments by our New York-based guest, Adam Gopnik. Writer, essayist, and commentator, Adam Gopnik has been writing for The New Yorker since 1986. As most of you know, his essays for that magazine combine wide-ranging cultural reference, tremendous wit, and a galloping felicity of style. For five years, Gopnik was The New Yorker's correspondent in Paris, and his dispatches from the left bank, often initially presented as mini domestic dramas, always added new twists to our understanding of the French-American dance of frustration and fatal attraction. From these essays, he compiled the bestseller, Paris to the Moon, published in 2000. Through the Children's Gate, a home in New York, collects and expands his essays about New York, life in New York with two children. Adam is the author of The King in the Window, an adventure novel which he claims is for children of all ages. His newest volume is entitled Angels and Ages, a short book about Darwin, Lincoln, and modern life. Gopnik has edited the anthology Americans in Paris for the Library of America and has written introductions to new editions of the works of Maupassant, Balzac, Proust, and Alain Fournier. He has won the National Magazine Award for Essays and for Criticism three times, and also the George Polk Award for Magazine Reporting. Adam has kindly agreed to act as host this evening, and he'll be introducing our honored guest, Muriel Barberi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that generous introduction, and thank you all for coming. Um, uh, in the roiling seas of publishing, uh, every once in a while, a book that uh, attempts to combine philosophical reflection with the wisdom of children and adolescents set in Paris somewhere on the left bank uh, uh, catches on. And you see before you the two people to whom this has happened. Um, Muriel Barbery's uh, wonderful book, The Elegance of the Hedgehog, is her second novel. Uh, the first, Une Gourmandise, will be published in English later this fall. And it has properly swept the world with its unique combination of reflection, uh, an essayist flair for uh, combining uh, <laughs> philosophical uh, contemplation with a description of uh, everyday life, with wonderful comedy and humor. There are scenes, as all of you I'm sure know, particularly set in uh, uh, lingerie shops uh, on the right bank of Paris, which are classics. Um, uh, and the book tells, narrates the counterpoint and the kind of fugue 
of two lives, two minds, living in close proximity but unaware of each other until uh, the narrative develops and finally they cross, electrify, uh, and end uh, with a surprising and deeply felt and inevitable turn. Uh, one of the rare cases where a truly wonderful book gets a truly deserved reception. Uh, Muriel is here with us tonight from Japan, not from France, where she's gone to live, and we want to talk about that. So without any more words from me, I will ask you to welcome to New York, Muriel Barber. Thank you. Thank you. I'm deeply sorry, but my English is very poor, so I ask for an interpreter. I know him is excellent. So, you, so I, I'm sorry. It will I will make, speak in French. We will, it will, we will reproduce the uh, parallels of the, of the novel, <laughs> in fact, in two, uh, two adjacent soliloquies, which will be joined by uh, Daniela, our, our interpreter. Um, <laughs> Muriel, the, the, this is your second novel. As I say, and in fact, the character, the main character of the first novel, yeah. makes a cameo appearance, a small appearance in, in this book. So in that sense, they're linked. Uh, but when, let me ask you the hardest of all questions. When did the idea for the book, the idea that René, the concierge, and Paloma, the young girl, would actually have overlapping lives, when did that first come to you in the process of writing? Donc c'est arrivé à peu près quatre ans après avoir écrit le premier roman et tout à fait par hasard. It happened about four years after I wrote my first novel and it was completely by chance. Je savais avoir écrit mon premier roman, j'ai tenté d'écrire d'autres choses et c'était extrêmement mauvais. After I wrote my first novel, I was tempted to uh, write something else and it was extremely bad. Et je, sans coquetterie aucune, bien sûr, je vous l'assure. And, and I say that, uh, let me reassure you, I'm saying that without any desire to um, be... Um, Fishing for compliments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just... <laughs> J'y ai juste pensé, Daniel, parce que c'est une expression proustienne que ma mère me répétait sans cesse. <laughs> I just mentioned that because this is a Proustian expression that my mother constantly repeated to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Et donc, euh, je, je, je pensais que je n'arriverais pas à écrire un autre roman et que peut-être j'étais l'auteur d'un seul roman. Et il se trouve que ce premier roman, un jour, est tombé de ma bibliothèque et que je l'ai ouvert par hasard à une page précise. Well, so, I thought I might never write another uh, novel and then I would be one of those authors that only writes one novel. And it turns out that uh, one day, um, the first novel fell off my bookshelf and I open it up to a specific page. C'était donc la page où une concierge s'exprime, deux pages en réalité assez courtes et à cette occasion je me suis souvenu de quelque chose que mon éditeur m'avait dit. It was a page or actually two pages where uh, a, a janitor uh, or a um, a, a super <laughs> superintendent of a building concierge uh, ex <laughs> expresses herself in very uh, concrete terms and um, there et je me suis souvenu de ce que mon éditeur m'avait dit ah, and i remembered something that my uh, editor had told me 
Dans le manuscrit de ce premier roman que j'avais envoyé par la poste, je faisais parler la concierge d'une manière très vulgaire, exactement comme le stéréotype s'attend à ce qu'une concierge parle. And in a first manuscript that I had sent in to my editor, I had conceived of this concierge in a uh, very a vulgar fashion, you know, the way that uh, one would traditionally um, imagine uh, such a figure. Et mon éditeur, qui est lui aussi romancier, m'avait dit, mais vous êtes romancière. Une romancière peut se permettre n'importe quoi, et en particulier de faire parler une concierge comme la Duchesse de Guermantes. Et j'avais corrigé le texte, <rire> encore, et j'avais donc corrigé le texte dans ce sens. But my editor, who was also a novelist himself, said, you're a novelist, and a novelist has, can allow himself the luxury of having a character speak any way he wants, as a character speak just like the, the uh, Duchess of Gournan. <laughs> so I re-edited the <laughs> whole speech, all the whole, um, the, all the discourse of this uh, concierge, uh, keeping that bit of advice in mind. Et donc je me suis souvenu de cette parole-là qui a provoqué une sorte de déclic. Je me suis assise à mon bureau et j'ai écrit les dix premières pages du roman qui n'ont pas à changer, d'une virgule. And I remembered that bit of advice. That was like the, uh, uh, that was the spark plug that set me off. And I sat down and I wrote the ten first pages of my novel, which were not changed one iota of, of this. So the idea of the philosophical concierge was born at, at that moment, in the, in the, in that, when the book fell from the shelf. And the, oui, c'était pas tellement l'idée d'une concierge philosophe, même si ensuite ça s'est venu naturellement, c'était l'idée d'une concierge érudite, quel que soit le domaine. It wasn't so much the idea of a philosophical concierge, even if that uh, later developed naturally. The idea was that she would be an erudite concierge. Oh, same word. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> But she's also, um, you know, one of the things I was, I was curious about is you, um, we were talking that, um, Seven Rue de Grenelle, where oui. the elegance of the hedgehog is set, was actually a, a number and a, and a street address that you chose more or less at random. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it is typical of a particular kind, part of Paris, particular kind of uh, French experience. And I was wondering if, it, if you knew it firsthand, if that, the life of a building of that kind, with the concierge and the people and the people above, if that came from your own experience or was the work of Romancier? Oh, yes. <rire> non, 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 je ne connaissais pas du tout cet endroit à tel point que en, quand je m'y suis rendue un peu plus tard, en réalité, à la demande d'un journaliste qui voulait très originalement me prendre en photo devant le 7 rue de Grenelle, <rire> je me suis rendu compte avec une certaine forme d'horreur qu'il y avait en fait non pas une entrée mais une boutique, dont je ne citerai pas la marque, une boutique de mode euh, à cet endroit-là. Anne. Not, actually, not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, when I went there uh, later um, uh, at the request of a journalist who had the very original idea of taking my photo in front of 7 Rue de Grenelle, um, I uh, noted with horror that instead of um, uh, an, an entry, there was a fashion boutique. I can't remember the brand. I remember, but I won't say. But in another way, that one of the things that makes this such a beautiful book is the way that the whole life of the building is, is implied. That is, oh. that uh, Renee's experiences. And I wanted to ask you too, as a, 
what's the, is there a difference between a concierge and a gardienne? Because we were always instructed to call our, uh, uh, our, our concierge a gardienne. Is there a difference, or is it just a difference in nomenclature? Je pense que le mot concierge est plus ancien que le mot gardienne, et plus joli, musicalement parlant, mais je suis incapable de répondre vraiment à votre question. C'était juste une parenthèse. I believe that <coughs> the word concierge is actually um, much older than uh, the word gardienne, uh, and I believe it's prettier too, but I'm totally incapable of responding to your question, <laughs> to which he added, um, my question was a mere parenthesis in that case. Et je voudrais juste ajouter une petite chose, donc j'ai... Je n'ai jamais fréquenté la haute bourgeoisie française dont il est question dans le roman. J'ai vu un certain nombre de lecteurs venant me serrer la main et me demandant si je connaissais bien les deux breuils du 54 rue de Grenelle et non pas du 7. Pas du tout. J'insiste sur le fait que tout est absolument inventé et que c'est un monde que je n'ai fait qu'entreapercevoir. C'est un monde que je n'ai fait qu'apercevoir de loin. I just want to add that um, I had never, never had the opportunity to frequent the members of the haute bourgeoisie, uh, and uh, which which are described the class which is described in uh, my novel. I've had people who have um, uh, come up to me and asked me if I knew the Debris who lived at 54 <laughs> rue de Grenelle, and um, I just want to emphasize this was. Um, and in completely an invented world that uh, I viewed from afar. Um, one of the things that makes Renee such a uh, uh, winning character is that she is <coughs> erudite, philosophical, and uh, uh, highly intelligent. She's also a Democrat in her taste. She, she loves bad movies. She loves The Hunt for Red October. She loves... Um, it's uh, good movie. Yeah, well, good movies in that sense. <laughs> bad entrevues. She likes those things. Um, and this. Am I wrong in thinking that there's an element in which Renee is is a voice of sanity in the book that speak that speaks for you a, uh, a little? That is that the width of her taste, the breadth of her taste, is a kind of reproach to uh, a narrow idea of erudition. Um, I didn't catch the last part of the question. Est-ce que c'est une sorte de reproche contre une idée trop l'érudition de Oh, c'est une question compliquée. <rire> euh, J'ai toujours eu, de, de façon naturelle, des goûts extrêmement éclectiques. Et j'ai, euh, pendant longtemps, eu assez honte de certains de mes goûts, qui n'étaient probablement pas culturellement très corrects. Et puis, euh, écrire ce livre a été une sorte de libération, puisque je me suis permis de parler de tout ce que j'aimais, indépendamment des classifications. Mm -hmm. De tout ce que j'aimais. Oui. Uh, this is a very interesting question. Um, I have to say that um, I've naturally been um, someone who has had very eclectic tastes. And uh, I must say that I always felt somewhat ashamed of that because some of my tastes might be considered to be not so culturally correct. And in that sense, writing the book proved to be a great liberation um, because uh, I was able to um, discuss all sorts of things which I, um, which I, I liked. Mm -hmm. So Renee serves that 
a bit of that function. And oui, elle était très aimable. Elle me permettait de faire ça. Oui. <laughs> Yet she was quite kind, kind enough to allow me to do that. <laughs> Paloma, the other voice in mm. the book, is one of the most um, wonderful adolescents I've, in recent literature. I, <clears throat> I was speaking to um, Leclésio the other night, the French Nobel laureate, oh, and to my <laughs> some of you may have been, and to my surprise when I asked him who the writer he admired most as a young writer was, he said, it's J.D. Salinger, the American. Oh. <clears throat> and I, I can't help but hear little echoes of Salinger's oh. adolescence <laughs> in Paloma's voice. Was, was Salinger a writer you admired? As mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it should, maybe. <laughs> no, 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 pas du tout. Et, et en plus, cette petite fille, elle est apparue très, très tardivement dans le roman, qui pendant ah, oui. pendant tout le temps où je l'écrivais, d'abord, ne s'appelait pas encore l'élégance du hérisson, mais tout simplement du nom de l'héroïne principale, Renée, ce qui n'était pas un titre très enthousiasmant. Et cette petite fille est apparue tardivement. Je vais vous raconter comment. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know. Um or not at all. I, I have to say that this uh, young girl actually appeared in my uh, novel very late in the process. Uh, I was thinking about the, um, the name of um, the heroine, uh, Renee, and then this, um, the idea of this young, small girl uh, appeared very far on, and I'll explain to you how she came about. Et donc, euh, j'avais déjà écrit les trois quarts de la voix de René quand cette petite fille est apparue dans le récit. Elle venait chercher quelque chose dans la loge de la concierge. I had written about three quarters of René's lines when, in the course of the story, this um, girl came to get something from the uh, concierge's booth. Et euh, mon mari, qui est également mon partenaire d'écriture, puisqu'il lit absolument chaque sortie d'imprimante, a lu cette partie et m'a dit, elle me plaît bien cette petite fille, pourquoi est-ce que tu lui donnerais pas une voix Et mon husband, qui est, je dois dire, un partenaire dans l'écriture, parce qu'il lit chaque draft qui sort du imprimeur, a dit, j'aime like cette jeune fille, pourquoi ne lui donnes pas une voix plus substantielle j'ai dit oui, bien sûr. <laughs> I said, yes, of course. Et, et j'ai commencé à écrire la voix de Paloma. Et puis ensuite, donc, vous allez voir à quel point ce roman a été construit absolument n'importe comment. Ensuite, j'ai intercalé <laughs> entre les passages où René s'exprime, ceux où Paloma s'exprime. Et puis ça a fini par faire un roman. And so I started to write the Paloma's voice. And so just so you can have an idea of how this, this novel uh, sort of just came about so haphazardly, I interspersed dialogues of Paloma's or uh, um, yeah, monologues of Paloma's with, between monologues of Renee's. You're, you're very lucky, Muriel, that your husband still reads all of your drafts. <laughs> my wife used to read all my drafts, so then we have children. And now she, she finds the magazine at the pediatricians, then she'll read whatever I've written. But otherwise, she's, she's completely unconscious of, uh, of my latest stuff. Bizarrement, je n'arrive pas à avoir pitié de vous. Strangely enough, I cannot feel any pity for you. The, um, 
and yet the, the beauty of the book is that these two voices, these two people come together as the book goes on. They're, they seem destined for each other. Um, so you be, you, did you see then once you had the, the idea of these two voices in parallel that they would have to converge at the end? En fait, oui, enfin, j'imaginais bien qu'il se passerait quelque chose entre elles deux, mais je dois aussi avouer, ce qui devient de plus en plus désastreux, que je, je ne sais jamais à l'avance et cinq minutes avant ce que je vais écrire et dans quelle direction les choses vont aller. Donc j'avais l'intuition que j'arriverais à les faire se réunir, mais c'était tout. Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, I thought something would, would happen, but I must admit, and this is kind of disastrous, but I don't know five minutes before I write something what I'm going to say or which way things are going to go, and I just follow my intuition. That's how it worked out. Now, they, they merge at the level of narrative. They, have, they, have an act, they encounter each other and they, and they affect each other very profoundly. But they also merge, it seems to me, at, um, at the level of thought. That is, that we find out as the book progresses mm. that they're both in search of something, that they're both, uh, that they're both philosophical questers. And that though they have very different voices, they're on a similar, they're on a similar quest, on a similar search. Oui, tout, tout mon plaisir, lorsque j'ai écrit ce roman il y a longtemps maintenant, c'était de trouver deux porte-voix qui me permettraient d'exprimer un certain nombre de choses qui me tiennent à cœur et qui tiennent à la philosophie en petite partie. En réalité, c'est souvent mis en avant, mais également à l'art et au sens de la vie en général, les questions fondamentales pour moi et pour d'autres. Uh, yeah, um, I must say when I, when, um, I wrote this novel, uh, I was looking for some spokespeople for major <coughs> feelings and ideas that I had that I, I felt very strongly about, especially my, um, my view on, on life. And these were good vehicles to, to do that. I, I want to talk about the large view of life that Paloma <laughs> and Renee shared, with, perhaps with you. But also, at, a, at another level, they both are drawn to Japan and yeah. to things Japanese. Um, Paloma loves sushi and she hates French cooking. Um, and Renee loves the Not films and, and loves the films of Ozu. That's one of the things that that draws her. Is that an? And now, as we know, you're you're living in Japan. Is that an an ancient preoccupation of yours, an obsession that you had always had? And how is it? And and what made you finally decide to pursue it in? Uh, oui, alors j'ai été initiée à la culture japonaise par mon mari, qui, lorsque je l'ai rencontré il y a longtemps maintenant, était déjà amoureux du Japon. Et, et je suis moi aussi tombée très vite amoureuse de la culture japonaise. I was initiated in Japanese culture by my husband, whom, whom when I met him a long time ago now, uh, was already an, in love with uh, Japan. And, um, I soon fell in love myself with Japanese culture. Et la première fois que j'ai je suis vraiment tombée amoureuse de la culture japonaise c'est en voyant un film d'Ozu qui s'appelle Le voyage à Tokyo et qui est un de ses films les plus connus et les plus lents et les plus longs. 
the first time I could say that I really fell in love with Japanese culture was when I saw a film by Ozu, which was Tokyo Story, which is um, a very slow and long film. J'étais ébloui. C'était la première fois que je voyais ça, c'est-à-dire cette capacité inouïe qu'a qu Ozu en particulier, grâce à quelque chose de très lent et de très contemplatif, d'aller au cœur de la vie même. And I have to say that I was absolutely dazzled the first time uh, I saw this. It was an unheard of phenomenon how Ozu managed to use such a slow technique to go to the very heart of life itself. Et ce sens de la beauté dans l'épure, qui est la grande caractéristique de l'esthétique japonaise, m'a parlé immédiatement comme s'il y avait déjà une longue connivence. And this sense of beauty in its purest state, which I think is um, an essential aspect of Japanese culture, immediately uh, rang, struck a responsive chord in me, as if we had been in cahoots for a long time. <laughs> Et donc, euh, en fait, avant, quand j'ai écrit l'élégance du hérisson, je n'avais encore jamais mis les pieds au Japon puisque nous n'avions pas les moyens et je cherchais désespérément un travail là-bas et je n'en trouvais pas. As a matter of fact, when I wrote um, The Elegance of the Hedgehog, I had never uh, been in Japan. Um, I never set foot in Japan and I was desperately uh, seeking um, a job in Japan and wasn't finding any. Et donc, lorsque... Euh, mon éditeur m'a dit qu'il ne publierait ce second roman et m'a demandé, puisque c'est une pratique courante dans l'édition, quelle avance je voulais, étant bien entendu qu'elle serait faible. J'ai dit 15 jours au Japon. De quoi ah, payer oui. 15 jours au Japon Et il m'a dit d'accord. So, um, when I was, when my editor told me that he was going to publish my second novel, and um, he asked me, and this is. Um, habitual practice in the industry, what advance I wanted, uh, since I assumed it would be a very um, small uh, advance, I said, two weeks in Japan. And he said, fine, two weeks in Japan. Et donc, nous sommes allés à Kyoto pour la première fois en tremblant d'émotion à l'idée de poser le pied sur le sang japonais. Et, et nous sommes tombés amoureux. And so the two of us went to Kyoto, trembling with emotion, and at the idea of being able to set foot on Japanese soil, and we fell in love. Et puis ensuite, de belles choses se sont produites, et nous avons donc pu accomplir notre rêve, et je vis à Kyoto depuis un an et quelques mois, et nous restons. And then, some beautiful things happened, and our dreams came true, and I've been living in uh, Japan for a year and a few months, and we're staying. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Well, um, have you, are you keeping a, a, a journal, Muriel? Of, uh, no. But you may, well, we may have a novel. J'espère. Uh, uh, I hope so. Yes. Let me say, though, something, you, a phrase you used a moment ago, talking about what drew you to Japanese, the Japanese aesthetic, is the idea of a pure, a kind of elemental beauty. And isn't it, in a sense, Am I wrong to think that that's one of the things that draws René and Paloma together in the, in the course of the book? There's a, may I read a passage that's, that for me is one of the keys 
of this book. It's uh, Rene, the, uh, the concierge, is, is brooding on what the true nature of beauty, <laughs> what the purpose of art is. Oh, I know what it is. And she says at the end, but when we gaze at the still life, this just struck me as very beautiful and true, when even though we did not pursue it, we delight in its beauty. She's a great lover of Dutch still life, particularly. Um, a beauty borne away by the magnified and immobile figuration of things. We find pleasure in the fact that there was no need for longing. We may contemplate something we need not want, may cherish something we need not desire. So this still life, because it embodies a beauty that speaks to our desire, but was given birth by someone else's desire, because it cosets our pleasure without in any way being part of our own projects, because it is offered to us without requiring the effort of desiring on our part, this still life incarnates the quintessence of art, the certainty of timelessness. And you go on, for art is emotion without desire. Um, is, is, am, am I wrong in thinking that in a sense that's the kind of philosophical, the intellectual climax of the, of the book and what brings them together? Oui, probablement. <laughs> oui, oui, puisque c'est ce que je trouve de commun entre une estampe japonaise et une nature morte hollandaise, la manière que les Japonais ont de présenter la nourriture, cette épure et en même temps ce sentiment de profondeur et de profondeur euh, de plénitude parfaite mm -hmm. qui est euh, loin du chaos de l'existence euh, quotidienne. J'ai trouvé ça au Japon bien plus que je ne l'espérais. Yes, you know, um, I, I, I think you're probably right on that, that there is a, a, a definite resemblance between a Dutch um, still life and the Japanese, the way the Japanese prepare fruits. And I felt that this, this feeling of this, this desire for perfect uh, fulfillment fulfillment and perfect fullness is something that um, far away from the um, chaos of daily existence was something that I found um, more than I could have ever expected in Japan. It's, it's funny because I always have the same sensation about certain aspects of French painting, which perhaps <laughs> you took in, if you, in Manet and mm. Fantin Latour, for instance, seem to have exactly that quality. In fact, I wrote about once about in, in similar terms about that. But perhaps we always have to find it in the in the uh, in the other in the in another culture. Non, mais je crois qu'il y a ça dans la tradition française aussi. Mais c'est contrarié en permanence par le goût que nous avons nous Français pour tout ce qui est superfétatoire, pour tout ce qui est ajouté, pour tout ce qui est embellissement, fanfreluche. <laughs> I think we have that too in French, uh, French taste, but that is counter, the, that desire is counteracted by everything in French culture which is um, overdone, uh, embellished, and excessively ornamented. Par exemple, il y a un point sur lequel je ne suis absolument pas japonaise et je ne un point, un point. Sur lequel je ne suis absolument pas japonaise et je ne serai sans doute jamais, c'est le style, la langue. La langue que j'aime, la langue française que j'aime est justement une langue qui aime faire beaucoup avec beaucoup. Alors que les japonais aiment faire beaucoup avec très très peu. Et en cela, je suis parfaitement française et pas du tout japonaise. 
Uh, well, there is one point on which I'm very French and not Japanese at all. It's a question of language style. Uh, that is, in, Fran in French, we like to do a lot with a lot, whereas the Japanese, linguistically speaking, like to do a lot with very little. Let me ask you then the, the, the logical next question. Which French writers, which users of a lot with a lot um, have particularly affected you? Je Go ahead. Um, uh, I'm now studying Japanese, and my concern is that I might, in studying Japanese, lose some of the fluidity that I have in French and not be able to express myself with the ease that I've been able to do so far and which I have um, derived so much pleasure from. Et donc j'ai emporté avec moi, il n'y avait pas beaucoup de place tout au début, j'ai emporté avec moi quelques livres et je peux vous dire lesquels, pour que vous compreniez où est-ce que je puise le plus grand plaisir linguistique. And so I brought with me, I didn't have a lot of space, I brought with me a few books, and I think it's worthwhile to tell you which ones, so you can see where I derive uh, such tremendous linguistic pleasure from. Le premier livre qui a immédiatement trouvé sa place dans ma valise, c'est Naclo, Les liaisons dangereuses. Non pas du tout pour l'histoire, mais pour le style. Et je l'ai lu pour la première fois quand j'étais très jeune, j'avais 13 ans. Je n'ai rien compris à l'histoire. Mais j'ai été émerveillée par la pureté de cette langue française, en même temps très généreuse. Le premier livre which um, I, I brought with me, not so much because of the plot, but because of the style. I read it when I was very young for the first time, and I didn't understand the thing. But I was marveled by the purity of, this, of the French, which was so generous. Et puis, dans les liaisons dangereuses, il y a quelque chose de l'esprit français, de l'esprit de cours de l'esprit raffiné, par exemple, à tous les coins de page, on dit « au reste marquise » ou « me ferez-vous le plaisir, madame ?» Et ça, j'ai besoin de rester connecté à ça. There's, uh, in the Liaison Dangereuse, there, is, there are reminiscences of the courtly French language, a very refined language, where there are expressions like « oh, um, please, Please, <laughs> Madame Marquise, stay. Don't. And, uh, I, I can't separate myself from that from such elegant language. Il n'y a pas de mots en anglais. There are no such words in English. <laughs> I know it's complicated. Le, so la clôt. Oui, le deuxième livre que j'ai emporté, c'est un recueil des pièces de théâtre de Racine, mm. pour les mêmes raisons, mais là parce que également le contenu me est important pour moi. Uh, the second um, book that I brought was a compilation of uh, plays by Racine um, for the same reasons, because of the style and the, co the content. Et le troisième, et ce sont les œuvres complètes de Flaubert. Mm -hmm. 
Et il n'y a pas meilleur moyen de rester connecté à la langue française que de relire juste quelques pages de Flaubert de temps en temps. And the um, third uh, book or third set of books that I bought were the complete works of Flaubert. There's no way, no better way to stay connected to the French language than to read a few pages of Flaubert from time to time. Maintenant, pour détendre un petit peu l'atmosphère, j'ai aussi pris des romans policiers. Pour détendre. And now, just uh, sort of as an interesting, relaxing counterpoint, I brought a few uh, police novels with me. That's the democratic side of your, <laughs> of the eclectic side of your, of, of your taste. Um, I missed, by the way, Muriel, if you said that um, Paloma's distaste for French cuisine oh. is something you share or something you invented for her. Alors, il se trouve que j'ai écrit un premier roman qui est une ode mm -hmm. <laughs> au plaisir de la cuisine française. Donc non, je ne suis pas d'accord avec elle sur ce point. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> uh, it turns out I wrote a first uh, novel which was an ode to the pleasure of French cooking. So I have to say that I'm not in agreement with her on this point. Um, the worst question, oh. the worst question anyone can ask an author is the one I'm going to ask you next, which is, it's what one authors get. It's, are you shocked by the success of your book? Are you, are you startled by it? But in a more, and you never have an answer for that. Yes, I'm shocked. I couldn't believe anyone would want to read what I wrote. But at a, at a deeper level, <laughs> at a deeper level, Muriel, yeah. do you have an idea? This book has been um, beautifully written, demanding in many ways, a, a complex book, not a, not a simple book and not uh, an easy book in that sense, a book that's full of philosophical ideas. You have to learn a bit about phenomenology. You have to learn uh, a great deal about uh, Japanese cinema and so on. And yet it has rung with hearts, not just in America and in France, but really uh, around the world. Do you have a sense in yourself what it is that people respond to so passionately in, no. in reading this book? No, no, absolutely not. When the book was published in September 2006 in France, it was, like practically all the first and second romans, it was tiré à 4,000 exemplaires. And with Stéphane, my husband, we prayed pour que ces 4000 exemplaires soient vendus et pour qu'ils n'aillent pas au pilon. Well, uh, absolutely not. In September 2006, when uh, this book was published, as is the case in France for most first or second novels, uh, the print run was 4,000 copies. And my husband, Stéphane, and I were praying that all those copies uh, would be sold and that none would go to the, uh, the pyre. Uh. Juste quand le livre a été publié, Stéphane a relu la première page et m'a dit euh, un premier chapitre qui commence en parlant de Marx, de l'hubris du désir et, et de la CGT n'a absolument aucune chance de marcher. <laughs> tu le sais. <laughs> Well, you know, when, just as the book came out, my husband read the first page and he said, bah, said the a first page, first chapter that speaks about Marx, hubris, desire, and the CGT um, can't work. Et j'étais d'accord, et aussi pour d'autres raisons, je n'ai absolument pas changé d'avis sur le livre. J'étais contente d'avoir achevé le roman. Je trouvais qu'il avait quelques qualités, mais aussi beaucoup de défauts. Et je n'y voyais et n'y vois toujours rien d'exceptionnel. Um, you know, I, I um, was definitely satisfied, happy that I finished the novel. 
I, I felt good about completing it. I thought the uh, book had um, some strong points and also some weak points, uh, but I did not see anything that was exceptional in it, and I still don't. <laughs> well, let us instruct you on, the, <laughs> on, on what it is. I want to turn the, uh, some questions over to the audience, because I'm sure you, uh, you have many of them. But just before I do, let me, let me ask you uh, uh, one, other, one other question. It's possible to read the book, it seems, to be the end of the book, and I don't want to give it away, but I assume most people in the room have, have, uh, have read it. As um, tragic, in a sense, because uh, Rene uh, doesn't, is on the brink, is on the verge of having uh, realized life of a kind and doesn't, and doesn't achieve it. But it's also, um, she achieves a kind of enlightenment, almost a kind of Japanese sort of enlightenment at the moment of, of shock, at the moment of, of loss, and a strong sense of legacy that she's going, that she has in Paloma, uh, someone who's, to whom she can pass on her vision. How did you imagine the, that the, the ending? Comme d'habitude, cinq minutes avant, je sentais. Comme d'habitude, quoi? Cinq minutes avant. Pardon. Et je sentais que le roman était terminé, et j'en ai parlé à mon mari, et il m'a suggéré cette scène finale, et ça m'a paru absolument évident, et c'était le seul moment, le seul moyen pour moi de parler de choses très importantes. Et en écrivant cette scène, j'ai eu une très 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 grande émotion qui est toujours mon film lorsque j'écris. Je finirai après. Well, as always is the case with me, five minutes before, um, well, I, I thought I had the novel finished, and uh, I talked to my husband, and he suggested this final scene, which I thought was absolutely the right one. And I wrote the scene, and I uh, experienced a tremendous um, burst of emotion and um, which is always the, um, the guiding light that I experience when I write. J'ai reçu quantité de courriers à propos de cette dernière scène, euh, et de, des courriers indignés, souvent, mm -hmm. que je comprenais parfaitement bien parce que j'avais ressenti la même indignation, et je ne pouvais donner aucune justification, juste la sensation de l'évidence. I received a lot of mail on that regarding the last scene. People who were indignant, and I understood that because I felt that indignation myself. And I, there was no way I could justify it. I only could say that, yes, that was indeed the case. In, indignant because Renee was cheated of, of her fulfillment at the moment when she was finally. Oui, des lecteurs m'ont suggéré des fins alternatives, d'ailleurs. Comment Les lecteurs m'ont suggéré des fins alternatives avec des scénarios intéressants, mais qui n'étaient pas les miens. The readers, as a matter of fact, suggested alternative endings with very interesting scripts, but they were not mine. That would be that would be um, Kurosawa, Rashomon, instead of <laughs> instead of instead of Ozu. Let me uh, let me open up uh, the conversation to those of you out uh, out there too, uh, to ask any questions you have of Muriel Barberi. First question is always the hardest. Mm -hmm. Someone jump in. I thought I saw a lady here. Oh. Did I not? Yes, but you just answered. <laughs> oh, <I> <laughs> <laughs> All right. Monsieur, je crois. Gentleman here. Yes, sir. One. Taking opening with philosophy. Okay. At the 
same time, what I thought, ce que je trouvais génial, c'était comme, um, excuse moi, mauvais français, mais no. um, Renée ne veut pas se trahir, mais elle était provoquée, provoquée par le jeune Palière, n'est-ce pas? Elle se trahit malgré son désir. Je trouvais ça génial dans tout le monde. Maybe you can translate. I think now we need to translate. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could translate the question. But, uh, no, go ahead. Well, what I thought was really incredible, make sure I get this right, <laughs> is that uh, Renee was, um, she didn't want to betray herself, but she was provoked. And um, in spite of herself, she, um, malgré sa. inspired her desire. Not to reveal herself. Um, that sort of the instant provocation for a moment, it was as if for an instant she forgot that desire. contradictoires. The great jubilation that I experienced in writing the novel was precisely that of counterposing these two desires. Uh, someone who um, who trembled who in experiencing these these two desires. Um, but it's also is it not uh, Muriel uh, an act of empathy on her part? I mean, it's an act of when she goes towards the clochard. Mm -hmm. in that, at that moment. So it's actually an act of, of, uh, of humanity on her part. Oui, oui, oui. Vous savez, je vais vous dire quelque chose. Une chose que, je, en fait, je n'ai jamais dite et à laquelle j'ai songé récemment en répondant à des questions de lectrices à Los Angeles. Euh, la raison pour laquelle ça se passe de cette façon-là, c'est que, euh, je peux le dire, je pense, la mort de René est exactement celle qu'a eu un grand penseur français que vous connaissez, qui s'appelle Roland Barthes. Mmh. Il lui est arrivé exactement la même chose. Il mmh. s'est fait renverser rue des Écoles par un camion de blanchisserie. Et cette connexion-là s'est faite, elle existe aussi. Par un camion de... Blanchisserie. Ah, blanchisserie, ok. Puisqu'on ne disait pas pressing. You know, I, I'm going to tell you uh, something that I haven't said before, but I was thinking about this actually when I was responding to some... Uh, feminine readers in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, it just so happens, and I, I guess I can um, mention this, that uh, Renee's death um, was the same death that was experienced by a French uh, thinker, uh, Roland Barthes, who was run over by a laundry truck. Yes, it was just outside uh, the Brasserie Balzac that, that, that he was, uh, was run over. I, I was a student of his in those, in that, in, at that time. I never made that connection. That's very... Merci beaucoup d'être venu, on est, on est, on est ravis. Oh, um, Est-ce que vous pouvez nous parler un, un peu du titre Ici, ça, oui. ça fait référence au grand essai, fameux essai d'essai à Berlin. Oh, oui. uh, Est-ce que, est -ce que uh, si vous pouvez répondre aux, aux, aux questions de, qui a posé au Tolstoy du Hedgehog ou Fox. Et, et, et qu'est-ce que, qu'est-ce qu'est votre opinion de cette question uh, à propos du pronoma et de, de René? Question about the title, and does it have any reference to the famous saying of Isaiah Berlin, which is not actually original, 
with Berlin that there's two kinds of minds in the world, the hedgehog and the fox. The fox knows uh, many little things. The hedgehog knows one big thing. Is, did you have that in mind? No. <laughs> J'ai découvert dans le New York Times que j'avais forcément en tête cet essai d'Isaiah Berlin lorsque j'ai choisi ce titre et ce n'est pas le cas puisque je ne le connais pas et depuis je ne l'ai toujours pas lu. I read in your times that I was clearly uh, thinking of Isaiah Berlin when I wrote when I picked this title but that's not the case because I was unfamiliar with it and as a matter of fact I still haven't read it. Et cet article m'a fait me sentir très coupable parce que, visiblement, je manquais une référence capitale, surtout moi qui aime Tolstoy par-dessus tout. Uh, you know, I love Tolstoy above everything else, and I, I'm sorry, I feel guilty because I missed out on a capital reference there. Donc, pour, pour répondre à une partie seulement de votre question, je ne peux pas répondre à la seconde partie. Le titre a été trouvé par mon mari, encore une fois, après de longues, longues, longues recherches. Um, to respond only partially to your question, because I can't respond fully, the title is the work of my husband, who came up with it after much and extensive research. And besides my husband and myself, nobody liked the title. <laughs> this, this is a great husband you've got. I mean, this is... <laughs> I think so. The ending, the title, I would, you know. Um, <laughs> Those of us who've been married a long time envy uh, uh, this deeply. Here, someone else here. I saw a hand in the. I saw a hand in the back here. Yes, this gentleman here. Oh, thank you. We read your book as part of a French study group, and most of us, I think, were frustrated with the ending. <laughs> I know. I would like to know what you res how you respond to the criticism which you, you indicated that you received by such allegations as it was trop facile, mm. it was a, a way of just ending the book. Um, perhaps the author wanted to provoke discussion. Um, but How do you respond to those let criticisms? Let me just add here, for the sake of those people yeah. who have not read the book, I suspect that there are not many, but since we've already brought it out into the open, there's no reason to keep it mm. hidden, is that at the end of the book, René tragically goes towards a, a clochard is on, on the corner of the Rue de Bach and the Rue de Grenelle, and she's run over by a, a laundry truck and uh, has one last uh, very Racine-like soliloquy where she's, where she's, where she's dying. Um, and you're furious that René, at this moment, uh, is lost. So, if, for those of you who haven't read the book, but uh, Muriel. <laughs> um, mais c est, c est, je comprends parfaitement, mais c'est très très difficile pour moi de vous répondre parce que un roman n'est évidemment pas un manifeste politique, quelqu quelque chose qu'on défend, mais juste quelque chose qu'on a écrit euh, de manière, pour moi, extrêmement intuitive. I understand. I understand you perfectly. But I must say that, uh, you know, a novel is not like a political manifesto, which you defend. It's something that you write, and in my case, it's something that I wrote very intuitively. Et euh, en ce qui concerne donc cette dernière scène, euh, je, je n'ai évidemment jamais en tête la réaction que je voudrais provoquer chez le lecteur. 
je, je suis un peu désolée de dire que je ne pense absolument pas au lecteur lorsque j'écris. And as far as the last scene, I must tell you um, that I was not at, uh, I, ha I had, I was not thinking of the, of provoking uh, any specific reaction in the reader. As a matter of fact, when I write, I must admit that I don't think of the reader. Et peut-être la, la, la meilleure chose que je puisse vous répondre, c'est que pour moi, en tout cas, l'écriture est une sorte de transe, d'état de conscience modifié où la concentration fait affluer des choses inattendues. The best thing that I can say is that for me, writing is a sort of trance, a state of consciousness where my concentration leads to a intense concentration leads to the flow of completely unexpected things. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> But may I add, just in, 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 in support of this ending, if I may, as a husband, um, that it seems to me that one of the things that's, that's beautiful about it is that um, Renee, as the book goes on, grows on us as a serious philosophical mind. We take her seriously as a, as a thinker. And she's, and she's important. And the, in the classical sense, the test of someone's beliefs is the moment when they have to confront their mortality and their death. She's not silenced at that moment. She speaks eloquently uh, to herself and to us about the nature of life, about her attachment to Paloma, and so on. Without that tragedy, uh, there would be no test of her, of her significance. Je suis fascinée, et ce n'est pas une formule, par la manière dont vous parlez infiniment mieux que moi de cette dernière scène, et cela confirme une intuition que j'ai très fortement, que les auteurs ne sont pas toujours, et même rarement, les mieux placés pour parler de leurs textes, puisqu'ils ne sont aussi désarmés que possible. I am so fascinated by the way you seem to speak So, in f about my own novel, and especially about this last scene, in, so, in a way that's so infinitely superior to whatever I could say. And this only um, <laughs> serves to reinforce my intimate belief that authors are not the best, best situated to speak about their own texts, because we are, uh, in a way of speaking, um, in a very vulnerable position. I wish you could speak, would speak of mine then. That would be, <laughs> um, like we'll take one more, we'll take one more question here and then we, uh, oh, and then. About the ending, but I actually really enjoyed the ending and I think oh. you already had your ending on page 100 and maybe that's where your husband got the idea because she talks about um, the, the Japanese film that she's watching about disappointed love and that how she is fully enlightened by that movie at the ending when they see the moss temple and I think Is that where you got your ending from, or is that where your husband yeah. got inspired for your ending? If you, I mean, if anyone has the book, you turn to page 100. Je regarde. Parce que les paginations américaines... Oh, oh, ce passage-là. Mais vous avez raison, peut-être. Je, je ne sais pas. 
Mais, mais peut-être, c'est tout à fait possible. Peut-être que c'est tout à fait dans la logique de ce passage très contemplatif où il est question de l'éternité. Oui, c'est... Merci. Vraiment. Vous êtes bien. Je veux dire, c'est correction. Perhaps. Je ne sais pas. Um, it's completely logical, and it's in the uh, spirit of that very um, contemplative passage on eternity. So, thank you. Paloma et René sont deux âmes solitaires qui cherchent désespérément dans l'existence des instants d'éternité. Et j'ai essayé de faire de la mort de René quelque chose de ce genre. Visiblement, je n'y suis pas entièrement parvenue, mais c'était bien ce sens-là. Paloma and René are solitary souls that are desperately seeking instance of eternity. And that's what I was hoping to bring about through Paloma's death. Although I didn't, uh, through, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> That's what I was hoping to bring about through Renee's death, um, although um, I only succeeded, perhaps I didn't totally succeed in that, um, but, but yes, thank you. I don't want to conclude this too rapidly. If people still have more questions, let's have one more here. Another question, it's, it's just the fact that the, the, the book starts out with the, with, with, with the possibility of Paloma committing suicide, so it's a nice sort of a ring. She plays with the idea, yes. Hum. Probablement, il y a beaucoup de pages dont je ne suis pas du tout satisfaite dans le roman. Mais je suis satisfaite d'une chose, ce sont des derniers mots du roman. Et ce sont ceux de Paloma et ils ne vont pas dans le sens de la tristesse, je crois. Ils ne vont pas dans le sens de la tristesse. Non. Il y a peut-être beaucoup de pages du roman que je n'ai pas satisfait avec, mais ce que je suis satisfait avec, ce sont les dernières paroles du roman. And these um, last words of Paloma, which, in my opinion, uh, do not uh, do not at all uh, have a uh, sad ring to them. May, may I read them? Uh, Please. Uh, these are the last words Paloma says. Uh, last words of the book. Don't worry, Renee. She said, "I I won't commit suicide, and I won't burn a thing, because from now on, for you." I'll be searching for those moments of always within never. Beauty in this world. Muriel Barbary, for that, we thank you and for your And uh, may I add that you have proven yourself elegant and not at all prickly. So, We thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Muriel Barberi and Adam Gopnik. And Daniel. And Daniel thank for you, Daniel. a wonderful evening. I'd like to remind you that the Penn Festival continues through Sunday. You can pick up the brochure outside. You can look up on the website for additional details, www.penn.org. You can also pick up outside uh, programs for the last program at the Maison Francaise, which will be next Tuesday evening, a film on the work of um, photographer and filmmaker Ariane Lopez-Uichi, and uh, sign-up sheets for the Maison Francaise programming, which will start again in mid-September. Also, outside, you'll find books on sale, and our authors, I believe, have agreed to stay for another 15 or 20 minutes to sign books. 
So please only bring them books that you're buying here. And um, please join us for the next Penn Festival events. Thank you. Uh, oh, and excuse me, guys, before everyone starts to uh, head out, um, we'd like to get our guests out the door real quick first. So if you could uh, please remain in your seats just momentarily. That'd be great. Thank you very much.